Hello, I'm Scott Treadway, lead pastor here at Rancho. Thank you for joining us for Upside Down Christmas. Normally at Christmas time, we put the light on top of the tree. Well, Jesus, the light of the world, went to the bottom. He was the least, he was the last among us. And so the light of heaven came to the bottom. And what that means for us is that he came to serve and we can do the same thing. If you'd like more information about Rancho, you can see us at rancho.tv. If you'd like to give to support the ministry, rancho.tv slash giving, enjoy. All right, well, we're at the beginning of our Christmas series, and we celebrate Christmas on December 25th, as you know, and you may know the origin story as to why we do celebrate Christmas on that day. It's not because Jesus was born on that day. I hate to burst any bubbles, but we have no idea the actual day that he was born. The reason why we celebrate Christmas on the 25th is because the Northern Hemisphere has a thousands-year-old tradition of celebrating the coming of light. In the Northern Hemisphere, December 21st is the darkest day of the year, and uh, that, right about December 25th, people start to notice that the days are getting longer. And so in the ancient Celtic civilization, they had a festival called Yule. That's where Yule Law, Yule Tide comes from, and they celebrated the coming of light. <clears throat> in Rome, it was Saturnalia. Saturnalia was a worship of the god Saturn, who they thought was bringing the, uh, the light to the world. Uh, that later turned into a worship of the sun. And uh, when Christianity entered Rome in about the fourth century, uh, the culture just decided that we're going to supersede all of these pagan holidays with a celebration of Christ on that day. And that became the Christ Mass, or a worship service about the coming of Christ, the light of the world. So that's the origin of the celebration of lights uh, on December 25th. Now, when we think of light, we think of a light that is, that is far above, a light that is in the air. For example, the sun. Obviously, when the sun rises, uh, is high in the air, bringing warmth and light to the world. When we build stadium lights, those lights need to go as high as possible. Street lights, high up on poles. Uh, home lights, you put them in the ceiling. You don't put them in the ground, right? Uh, we're installing a couple of house fans at our house, and, and those, uh, those lights will go on, on the ceiling, not the floor. They're not very useful down on the floor. Um, we put uh, Christmas lights up. So I'm going to show you my house right there. There it is. I go all out for Christmas, don't I, kids? Uh, that's not my house. This is actually my house right here. That's, that's kind of how I roll. Uh, the kids make fun of me every year for how we do. Uh, we're minimalists, right? Minimalism is a trend. That's what we do at the Treadway House. Uh, when we put up a tree, usually the brightest light is at the top of the tree. That's just how it goes. If it's light, if it's bright, it goes up. Now, Christmas is a celebration of light, but we're turning that upside down. We're turning that upside down because here's the reality. Jesus didn't come to be placed at the top. In fact, the light of the world came to shine the brightest at the bottom. Jesus did not come to be put at the top. He came for the bottom. That's why we're calling this an upside down Christmas. So we're going to spend a few minutes in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is one of the most amazing introductions to Jesus in the entire Bible. John chapter 1 starts this way. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. All right, so be a little patient here. We're going to try to use human terms to describe God. That's always a challenge. Now, we see all kinds of teachings in the Bible about God. What we see sort of most confusing, but in a very real way, is that there is one God who exists in plurality. And I know that's hard to get our heads around. It's very difficult to understand. I can't pretend to understand it myself. But we know that God exists as a single God in plurality, uh, what we say Father, Son, Spirit, in perfect relationship. Now, in the beginning, John 1 says, was the Word. 
Now, this is called the pre-incarnate Christ. Incarnation means taking on flesh. So before the Godhead took on flesh, there was the Word, capital W, Word. In Greek, that word is logos. And it simply means the full expression. So the pre-incarnate Jesus was the Word of God eternally proceeding from the Father as the full expression of God. So before there was a Jesus, born 2,000 years ago, there was the Word, the eternal and full expression of God. Now, there are a bunch of theologians who have probably too much time on their hands, and, and they look through the whole of Scripture, and a lot of them have determined that, that the Word of God, the full expression of God, is, is the pre-incarnate Christ, and so every time God expresses himself in any way that can be seen or heard with the senses is the second person of our triune God, who is Jesus Christ. This is the light of the world, the eternal glory of heaven, expressing the glory and expressing the heart of God to us. That's Jesus. What we say is the fullness of divinity and the fullness of humanity. John 1, 3 through 4 says this, that God created everything through the word, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and get this, his life brought light to everyone. Christmas season is a celebration of light, particularly the celebration of the light of God, the eternal glory of heaven, is the word of God who became the son of God, Jesus Christ. That's the reality of who he is. And we see in John 1, as well as in Philippians chapter 2, we see that the light of heaven, the eternal glory of heaven, did not want to be at the top, did not want to take the highest place, but in fact wanted to take the lowest place. Philippians chapter 2 says this about Jesus. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. So here's a quest for the bottom. Here's the eternal glory of heaven. There's no one higher than the glory of God himself, the eternal word of God, eternally proceeding from the Father God, the one who became Jesus Christ. There is no one higher, and yet he took on human form. And then he became the form of a servant. Scripture says the form of a slave. And we see that his humility, a quest for the bottom, was on display at his birth on that first Christmas morning. If you read the Christmas story, it's really a tragic story. His mother was pregnant before marriage, which culturally was a shame that could have uh, incurred the death penalty in ancient civilization. Her fiancé, Joseph, believed what God told him, and he stuck with her and, in fact, married uh, her, even though that child was not his. While she was nine months pregnant, they were forced to travel a long distance through a Roman census. While experiencing the pain of childbirth, they were turned away from every house and every inn that they went to. There was no room, so they were put in a barn. Jesus was born without dignity, without fanfare, without the most basic human measures of respect, born in a barn, laid in a feed trough, with only a few uneducated shepherds by their side. Jesus was born in poverty, in a nothing of a nation, in a nothing of a village, to a nothing of a family. This was a peasant family in a disrespected part of the world. This is Jesus, not seeking the highest of highs, but the lowest of lows. This is where divinity takes on humanity. And when divinity takes on humanity, it wasn't in a palace, it wasn't in glory, it wasn't with fanfare, it was to a peasant family in a barn. Now this is a strange concept for us, and I totally understand that. For people to think that God could become man, it's a, it sounds like, like fantasy, right? And I totally understand that. But it really is a very simple thing in, in the Word of God. It's about 
God writing himself into the story. God is the creator. This world is God's creation. And a story is being written as we live our lives and as we make our choices and raise our families. A story is being written and it's perfectly within the right of the author to write himself into the story. If you wrote a book, you could write yourself in as a character. That's entirely up to you, right? You're the sovereign over the story. That's exactly what God did. When he wrote himself into the story, he did so through the word of God who became the son of God, Jesus Christ. That's all he did. The creator wrote himself in to his own creation. It's his right. And the reason why he did that is because the world was trapped in darkness. God created this world good. He made us with a a volition, an ability to choose good or evil. Humankind chooses evil. And so God watches. This cough will be over in May. He watches his creation choose darkness. And he says, I'm not going to sit around and wait for that to just continue to disintegrate in front of my eyes. I'm going to write myself into the story. And the word of God became the son of God. And Jesus was born. The blazing glory of the light of heaven took on human flesh and a quest for the bottom, and he was here to serve, and he was here to love. He was here to bring the light of the world from the bottom up, not the top down. John 1.5 says this, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That word comprehend in the Greek simply means to seize. The world did not seize the light of God. What it essentially means is they didn't get it. The world didn't get it. Now, why? The world understands power. The world understands influence. The world understands you know, royalty and wealth and armies. And the, the world understands that it's about a quest for the top. So when God arrives on the earth and he's at the bottom, when the highest of highs God himself is born as the lowest of lows, the world doesn't get it. The world's like, there's no way God's going to come like that. God's going to be born in a palace to the right bloodline with the right wealth and the right armies. That's how he's going to make things right. No, Jesus was born in humility and in love. God says, I'm going to make this broken world right, not by imposing power. That's what got the world wrong in the first place. But I'm going to make the world right through the humility of love. And so my son is coming to the bottom, the light of heaven coming to the bottom. And as a result, Jesus was disrespected and rejected by all the power brokers. Jesus was rejected by the rich. He was rejected by governments. He was rejected by the religious. Those are industries that value power and rising to the top. Jesus says, I'm here for the bottom. And so the rich rejected him, the the politicians rejected him, and the religious rejected him. John 1.9 says this. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. The only ones who did recognize Jesus, the only ones who seized onto Christ and got it, were the poor. Those are the ones who rallied to Jesus. The poor, the sinners, the sick, the lonely, the rejected, the outcast, and the hopeless, those are the ones that came to Jesus. Those are the ones that accepted him. Those are the ones who believed him. Those are the ones who understood, you know what? His light is a lot like mine. He's at the bottom, and so am I. So there's a relationship there between the highest of highs becoming the lowest of lows, there was a relationship there, a relationship of love, of friendship, of service. Jesus brought in an upside-down reality. He had an upside-down birth, the eternal light of heaven born in a barn. Jesus lived an upside-down life. 
the eternal light of heaven, serving the least, the last, and the lost. Jesus taught about an upside-down kingdom. And he says this new reality, this new kingdom is not about a quest for the top, but a quest for the bottom. And he left us with one law. The kingdom of heaven has one law, and that is to love one another. Jesus created an upside-down community he called the church. The church simply is an assembly. It's a gathering. He gathers the church together, and he says, you know what, church? This is about serving. It's about serving one another. It's about serving your neighbor. It's even about loving your enemies. So he gathered a community he called the church to say, we are going to have our light at the bottom as well. And this upside-down reality that Jesus brought and that Jesus lived cost him his life. He was so dedicated to bringing this new reality of, of a quest for the bottom to this earth that it cost him his life. During Passover, he went to Jerusalem, knowing that there were people there who were conspiring to kill him, knowing that everyone in power in Jerusalem wanted him dead because he was so committed to loving the least, the last, and the lost that there was a movement of love that was emerging in this kingdom of, of, of Israel. And so the Romans who invaded and the, and, the, and the religious powers that ruled over Israel, they conspired to kill him because this was a threat to their power. He taught that love was the way to truly serve and the way to truly live. And so Jesus confronted the people who were oppressors and they wanted him dead. But he was so committed to freeing the world and loving the world and he knew that could only come through Jerusalem. So his humility, his quest for the bottom led him to walk into Jerusalem despite the threats. His humility, his quest for the bottom, led him to go through the Garden of Gethsemane where he begged the Father to take this suffering from him. But he says, not my will, but yours. This humility, this quest for the bottom, allowed him to submit to his arrest, submit to six trials, the beatings, torture, and the cross. His hands and feet nailed to the cross, lifted up in humiliation. And it was in that moment where the highest of highs the eternal light of heaven became the lowest of lows. There is no one more despised than the one who was crucified by Roman guards, stripped naked, nailed to a cross, lifted up to suffer, to bleed, and to suffocate for hours or days. That's Jesus. His was a quest for the bottom that led him to the cross. And why did he do that? He did that to show the full extent of his love, to show how willing he was to display the love of God to the world. That is the love of God for you. That's the love of God for me. It cost him everything. And on that cross, he took every human failure. He took every human darkness. He took every human suffering upon himself. He became the victim of his own creation to show that the light of the world is a, light, is a life of love and sacrifice, not a life of pursuing power, fame, and fortune. He bled and died to show us the eternal light of heaven is about service. John 1.12 says this, To all who believed him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become children of God. So the light of the world was entirely snuffed out on the cross. The light of the world was snuffed out and buried in a tomb. But there was a resurrection. And the light of the world went through the grave and the light of the world ascended and the light of the world still shines today. And that light shines on earth today through us. When we place our faith and trust and hope in Jesus, it's this humble light that was the blazing glory of God now shown as a loving relationship with us. When we accept that, when we embrace that, 
We're now in relationship with God. As it says in John 1.12, we become children of God. Children of God. When people usually think of God, they think of God as far above us. They think of God as holy. They think of God as a blazing light. And then we look at ourselves and we think, there's nothing holy about me. I, I carry guilt and shame of my mistakes. I know I'm a failure. And so when we imagine God, we might imagine nothing but a blazing light of condemnation. And there's no way we can be in relationship with him. That's why the blazing light of God's holiness became a peasant born on that Christmas morning to show us who God really is. He's not a blazing light of judgment. He's actually a very caring God. And he loves us. And he showed that through Jesus Christ. And so when we see Jesus, we see God how he really is, not this fearful thing we imagine him to be. And so when we believe in him, we enter this relationship of father to daughter, of father to son. And that's an awakening that means everything. That's what the Bible calls eternal life. Simply believing God loves us and forgives us and declares us his perfect son and perfect daughter as a gift, not based on anything we do, not based on any religious act or good moral works. It's simply a gift he gives us. That's my love for you shown through Jesus Christ. I'm going to show you a short video. It's about 20 seconds. You might have seen it. It's a video of a six-week-old girl who was born deaf, and they gave her these custom hearing aids, and she hears her mother's voice for the very first time. Take a look. There we go. Okay, so just turn your hearing on. Should you say hello to everybody? Should you say hello? Huh? Oh. Very loud hello. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's one of the best 20 seconds I've ever seen in my life. Here's this child. The, the whole reality has been nothing. A child can't hear anything. So mom's talking and, and can't hear. And to put those, those hearing aids in, a whole new world just emerges. Just like that, a whole new world emerges. They can hear, she can hear her mother's voice. And, and John 1 is a similar experience for a lot of people. We're born not having any idea who God is. And because of our human nature, we're born believing we're separate from God. God is too far above us. His light is shining too bright. I'm full of guilt and he's perfect. And so we're born believing our backs are turned to God and that we can't possibly turn to him. Or if we did, we'd see nothing but judgment. Then here comes Jesus. The blazing glory of heaven taking on human flesh. And he says, I care, and I love you, and I forgive you, and yes, you've made mistakes, and yes, you're carrying guilt, but I don't see you as guilty. I don't see you as a sinner. I don't see you as condemned. And Jesus enters us into a relationship, a perfect, unbreakable relationship with God the Heavenly Father by grace through love proven through Jesus Christ. And when we believe this, that's when the hearing aids are turned on and we hear God's voice, I'm your Father, I love you. You're forgiven. Let's walk in relationship together. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you that your voice is so clear through Jesus Christ and, and we can hear. We can hear your words through Jesus. Words of love, of comfort, of affirmation. Words of forgiveness. Words of assurance that you will never leave and never forsake us. Words that, that declare that we are forgiven. There's nothing that separates us from you. That we are not under your condemnation that you live for us, to bless us, and you prove that through Jesus Christ.
the light of heaven, took on human form, lived as a servant, and even gave his life. The, the, the word, the eternal word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, served us and died to show us the extent of your love for us. He did everything to show that love is what truly saves. Your love for us forgives. Your love for us gives us new and eternal life and we receive it, we believe it, and thank you that we can now uh, and forever live in your love through Jesus Christ, your son, and we get to celebrate him this Christmas. In his name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Thanks for coming. Look forward to seeing you uh, for week two of the Upside Down Christmas. Bring a friend.